Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirchner. In today's long-form weekend podcast, Glenn recaps the Trump legal stories of the week, and he discusses the need to reform ethics in government. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to Justice Matters Weekend Edition, where we try to air things out a bit. This week, not surprisingly, we're going to be talking about a monumental development. I mean, literally a monumental development in our nation's history because a former president of the United States got what we call a target letter, indicating in very real terms, I mean in in really concrete ways, and we're gonna talk about why it's real and it's concrete, indicating he will be federally indicted, criminally indicted for his crimes that were designed to put an end to our democracy sounds hyperbolic, right? But friends, it's not. Donald Trump got a letter telling him, you are about to be indicted by a federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. for multiple crimes involving your attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power from one president to another in accordance with the expressed will of the American voters. Let's put it another way. You tried to install yourself in the Oval Office, in the White House, in the presidency as a dictator, somebody who was not duly elected by the people. Can we put it a third way, friends? You tried to end American democracy. That's what Donald Trump and his insanely corrupt cabal of criminal associates, his co-conspirators, tried to do to you, to me, to we the people, to our democracy. And we're going to talk about that in this episode. We're going to talk about, you know, what is a target? What does it mean when somebody gets a target letter? What does it foreshadow? So as always, we're going to start with a recap of the legal developments of the week. And then we're gonna return to one of my favorite topics. And I hope, friends, it's one of yours. And that is the need to reform and restore ethics in government. Now, I've talked about this proposal at least once before, I think, on this very podcast. But we really need to circle back to what, you know, it's not exactly a fix, but it's a really important step in the direction of reforming ethics in government. You know, I continually talk about the need for a renaissance of ethics in government. 
and a respect for and an allegiance to the rule of law rather than an allegiance to one man, one maniacal cult leader. You know, I mean, imagine, friends, if congressional Republicans had an allegiance to the rule of law that rivaled the allegiance they have to a criminal former president, what a beautiful government we could have. What an honorable Congress we could have if they loved and supported the rule of law the way they love and worship and support Donald Trump. Now, yes, I know that's probably too much to ask for from guys like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy and the rest of them, you know, to love and respect and be animated by the rule of law. And friends, it has nothing to do with the fact that they're Republicans. It's not about political ideology. Frankly, I would love to see us get back to a place where we had two functioning, rational political parties, right? Two rational political parties that debated policy, but at the end of the day, two political parties that had a love for and a respect for the rule of law and for ethics in government and a love for a sustainable, healthy democracy and a love for all of the American people. You know, if that's what drove them, if that's what moved them and animated them and motivated them, you know, yes, advocate for the policies that you believe will do right by the American people, but do it from a place where you have love and respect and reverence for the rule of law and for ethics in government service. You know, I know expecting guys like Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy to be inspired by the rule of law and ethics and honor in government service is like expecting pigs to fly. But that sure as hell doesn't mean that we should just throw up our hands you know, give in to the dark forces who would rather worship Donald Trump than honorably serve the American people, right? Who would rather pledge their loyalty to a criminal former president than pledge their loyalty to the rule of law. And friends, when it comes to a pledge, when it comes to an oath, you know, there is that one oath that all officers and all employees of the federal government take. It's the oath that I took as an army officer. It's the oath that I took as a federal prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It's an oath by which we swear to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And there's one way to just tweak that oath a little bit. There's a way to animate that oath. There's a way to implement the requirements embodied in that oath. So after we finish today's legal recap, friends, I want to circle back. I want to circle back to 22 simple words that we can drop in that oath that can and I believe will serve as a catalyst to help restore ethics to government service. But as always, let's start with our legal recap. 
Coming up after the break, a date has been set for the classified documents trial. Glenn talks about that next on Justice Matters. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Florida Judge Aileen Cannon has made a ruling on when the classified documents trial should be held. But is it a fair ruling? Here's Glenn. So friends, there were a couple of really interesting legal developments on Friday. One is that Trump-appointed Judge Aileen Cannon finally deigned to set a trial date in Donald Trump's documents, obstruction of justice, and espionage trial in federal court down in Florida. And Judge Cannon decided that May 20th, 2024, is the right time for Donald Trump's case to go to trial. You know, almost a year from now. Of course, special counsel Jack Smith's team consistently had been asking Judge Cannon to please set a December trial date, December 2023, so all these matters could be wrapped up well in advance of the November 2024 presidential election. Now, of course, Donald Trump and his attorneys were asking Judge Cannon to set no trial date, no trial date whatsoever. And they actually put in writing in a brief that they filed with Judge Cannon that, Judge, because we intend to file motions that are that are so big and so strong and so beautiful and so powerful and so persuasive, showing how Donald Trump shouldn't even be prosecuted at all. And judge, when we file these motions and you resolve these motions, you will dismiss the case against him. You will just throw out the grand jury's federal indictment against him. They actually put that stuff in writing. My gosh. Well, Judge Cannon, probably viewing herself as Solomonic, you know, splitting the difference, if not the baby, decided to set a trial date for 2024, May 2024. So federal prosecutors wanted a December 2023 trial. Trump's attorneys asked for no trial date at all or at a minimum judge, set the trial for well after 
the presidential election in November 2024. Well, Judge Cannon may be viewing herself as Solomonic, you know, splitting the difference, if not the baby, decided to set the trial date in May 2024. And yes, on the one hand, that is five or six months before the presidential election. So that's it's a good thing, right? Let's assume for just a moment, oof, goodness help us, let's assume for just a moment that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for president. You know, that, that might be a good thing because I suspect he will again be trounced by Joe Biden. But let's just assume for a moment that he is the nominee and he goes to trial in May. That trial will be over in, you know, June or July. And in the event he's the nominee, people at least when they go to the polls in November after the conclusion of his criminal trial, you know, anybody who is foolish enough to continue to support Donald Trump will at least know whether they're casting their vote for a convicted felon who committed crimes like espionage, among others, or if he's found not guilty, then they'll be voting for a fully exonerated man, someone who was innocent of all charges against him. Maybe he really did nothing wrong. Well, look, I think it's a good thing if we have an election where the voters are fully informed about whether they're voting for a convicted felon or they're voting for someone who was found not guilty of the dozens and dozens of federal felonies with which he's been charged. On the way, there's new information about Donald Trump's Georgia state election crimes, and Glenn discusses Trump's target letter sent by special counsel Jack Smith. This is Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Donald Trump revealed he received a target letter warning him he's about to be indicted for his part to try and overturn the 2020 election. Glenn explains why target letters exist and explores the three charges Trump is facing. So another story that broke on Friday, this one was reported by Hugo Lowell of The Guardian. Hugo has been doing terrific reporting of all things Donald Trump. There's reporting that Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fawny Willis will, in fact, bring RICO charges against Trump and company for their Georgia state election crimes. 
And friends, that is as it should be. You know, that will be another, let's call it a problem that Donald Trump will have in his life and in his campaign, such as it is. But let's turn to what is undoubtedly the biggest legal story of the week, and that is the target letter that special counsel Jack Smith delivered to Donald Trump. So let's start out with a quick team justice law school class on what is a target letter. So the Department of Justice has a precise definition for the word target in connection with a grand jury's criminal investigation. This comes right out of the U.S. Attorney's Manual, which is kind of our procedural Bible, right? It sets out exactly how we are to operate as federal prosecutors. A target is somebody for whom prosecutors have substantial evidence linking him to the commission of a crime and who the prosecutors view as a putative defendant. So let me translate that into English. You're a target of a grand jury investigation if the prosecutors have a whole bunch of evidence showing that you committed federal crimes and they intend to indict you. That's what a target is. Okay, so that's the definition of a target. What does it mean to get a target letter? Here's what it means. It means that the investigation before the grand jury is darn near complete. Prosecutors have all of the information and the evidence they believe they need, and they are preparing to ask the grand jury to indict the target. Sometimes when we reach that stage, that late stage in a grand jury investigation, before we ask the grand jury to vote on charges and indict the target, we send a target letter to the person who is about to be indicted, and we say, we are inviting you to appear before the grand jury and testify and explain to the grand jury how you've done nothing wrong, you've committed no crime, this is all just some big misunderstanding, the prosecutors have it all wrong here. So this is the target's opportunity to tell his or her side of the story to the grand jury. Well, not surprisingly, Donald Trump has already rejected that invitation to testify. And you know, you may ask, well, why didn't Jack Smith just subpoena Donald Trump to the grand jury, right? Well, because as the target of the investigation, you have a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. You have a right not to testify to the grand jury because your truthful testimony could incriminate you. So Jack Smith couldn't really subpoena him. I mean, he could. There's no legal prohibition against subpoenaing a target, but we ordinarily don't do it because the target has an automatic Fifth Amendment privilege against testifying. So all the target would do is walk into the grand jury, say, I plead the Fifth, and leave. So we don't ordinarily subpoena targets because a subpoena is a court order. It's a compulsion order saying you are required legally to come testify to the grand jury. We don't ordinarily 
subpoena targets. I will say the U.S. Attorney's Manual has a provision where we can seek approval from the higher-ups at the Department of Justice to subpoena a target, but we almost never do it. So that's why a target letter is used instead in lieu of a subpoena, because it's not a demand, it's not a requirement, it's not a compulsion order. We just invite the person to come in and testify and tell the grand jury his or her side of the story, how they've done nothing wrong. Yeah, Donald Trump has done plenty wrong, so he was not going to accept the invitation to testify to the grand jury. Another thing you should know about a target letter, friends, is that a target letter is a sure sign that the target is about to be indicted. It's not a guarantee. There's nothing that says, you know, there's a legal obligation to indict the target after you have sent him or her a target letter. But I can tell you, as a matter of course, as a matter of practice, once we prosecutors have reached a decision to send a target letter, yeah, it's damn near a lock that the target will ultimately be investigated. That's often the next step right after the target rejects the invitation to appear before the grand jury. Okay, so that's what a target is. That's what a target letter is now. Importantly, let's turn to the three crimes that were included in the target letter. Because I have to admit, it wasn't precisely the three crimes I was expecting. And I think I can actually speak for some of my you know, fellow brother and sister legal analysts because I've talked with them, some of them about it. We've certainly discussed it on air together recently. You may know I'm also an MSNBC legal analyst, so, you know, I talked with Lawrence O'Donnell and Joy Reid and Nicole Wallace and Stephanie Rule and many of the other anchors in recent days about the three crimes that were included in the target letter because it wasn't exactly the three crimes many of us were expecting to see in the target letter. So first let me say that a target of an investigation has no legal right to a target letter. There's no constitutional right. There's no statutory or other legal right. There's no due process right to a target letter. You know, that is to have a prosecutor send you a letter saying, hey, sport, listen up. You're about to be indicted, and here are some of the crimes for which you may be indicted. Right? There's absolutely no right to a target letter or to be notified of the crimes for which you may be indicted, but we do sometimes, as a tactical matter, send target letters. And just as there's no right to a target letter, and this is important, there's no requirement that prosecutors list in the target letter they decide to send all of the crimes for which the target may be indicted. It would not be unusual to send a target letter to Donald Trump that just said, as an example, you're being investigated by the grand jury for crimes involving the transfer of presidential power in connection with the 2020 presidential election. That could have been what Jack Smith decided to include in the target letter, or he could have said, you are being investigated for crimes on and around January 6th, 
in connection with efforts to stop or interfere with the certification of the election's results. That also would have been an appropriate target letter. But what Jack Smith decided to do, at least in as much as we've seen reporting about the target letter, and it seems to be confirmed reporting, nobody, I don't think any of us have seen the actual target letter itself. It has not been publicly disclosed. But the reporting is that Jack Smith told Donald Trump, the grand jury is considering, is investigating three crimes, three potential crimes. And then Jack Smith lists those crimes. So one more important base to touch before we go directly to the three crimes in the target letter. There is absolutely no legal requirement that every single offense, every single crime that the grand jury may end up indicting be included in the target letter. It's more just to put the target on notice of the generally the kind of things the grand jury is investigating, but there's no prohibition against sending a general target letter that specifies three crimes being investigated and end up indicting the target for four crimes or six crimes or 10 crimes, things that weren't specifically listed in the target letter. I think these are all things that are worth keeping in mind. In fact, I suspect Donald Trump will end up being indicted for a whole lot more than just the three crimes listed in the target letter. I make that prediction at my own peril, I understand. Okay, so let's talk about the three crimes that are listed in the target letter. So the first is what we call a 371 conspiracy, a conspiracy to defraud or commit offenses against the United States. Why do we call it a 371 conspiracy? Well because that's where you find that criminal statute in the big, ugly, blue book of federal laws, the United States Criminal Code. For those of you scoring at home, you can find that charge at 18 United States Code, Section 371. And that crime is precisely what it sounds like when people conspire to commit offenses against the United States or defraud the United States for example, defraud the United States out of a free and fair presidential election, you've committed the crime of conspiracy to defraud or commit offenses against the United States. And the reason that one was no surprise is that's one of the crimes the January 6th House Select Committee found there was ample evidence of, and they referred Donald Trump to DOJ for prosecution, for criminal investigation and possible prosecution on that offense. And importantly, friends, let's not forget a federal judge in California, David Carter, in connection with some litigation, a case that was brought involving one of Donald Trump's corrupt lawyers, John Eastman, right, the architect of the fake elector scheme. You know, whether he had to turn over his emails or whether they were privileged, Judge Carter held an evidentiary hearing and he ruled he found that there was evidence, indeed a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, 51%, that Donald Trump and John Eastman committed the crime of conspiracy to defraud the United States. 
a judge has already so concluded. So it was no surprise in the target letter seeing that crime listed as one of the three crimes that the grand jury is investigating and that Donald Trump is about to be indicted for. Now, let's turn to the second crime. The second crime is listed as witness tampering. Now, before your mind starts to search for all of the witnesses that Donald Trump may have tampered with, and yes, it's a long list, let me set this one up. So, the witness tampering federal statute is found at 18 United States Code Section 1512, again, if you're scoring at home, and it is titled witness tampering, but it involves so much more. So let me tell you, if you're really bored or you have insomnia and you wanna put yourself to sleep, I urge you to read the witness tampering federal statute, 18 USC section 1512, because it goes on and on and on. And it doesn't just include witness tampering. There are more than 30 crimes listed under the heading of witness tampering that one could commit and it would generally be called or be found under the witness tampering statute. One of the crimes, one of the 30 plus crimes that falls under the witness tampering heading is something that is very familiar to us because prosecutors have been using it ever since Donald Trump launched his attack on the democratic process on January 6th, 2021. It is the crime of obstructing an official proceeding, specifically obstructing an official congressional proceeding, comes under the witness tampering statute And of course, it is Donald Trump's foot soldiers. It's the boots of the insurrection who have successfully been prosecuted and convicted over and over and over again for obstructing the official congressional proceeding on January 6th, the certification of Joe Biden's win. So again, it's no surprise that the target letter included witness tampering, but more specifically, obstructing the congressional proceeding. And in fact, that is one of the crimes, again, that the January 6th House Select Committee found there was ample evidence of and referred Donald Trump to the Department of Justice for investigation and possible prosecution. But there was also a third crime included in the target letter. And that one, frankly, I did not have on my bingo card. And that third crime is deprivation of rights under color of law. Okay, now that's legal mumbo jumbo. What is deprivation of rights under color of law? Again, if you want to score at home, it's 18 United States Code, section 241. In layman's terms, what that means is if a government official, somebody who is acting in their official capacity under the color of law, If they're using their authority, their position, to deprive the people of their rights, their rights under the Constitution, their rights under the laws of the United States, for example, their voting rights, then they could be charged with a violation of Section 241 
because they've conspired to deprive people of their rights under the color of law. So those are the three offenses that Jack Smith included in the target letter. But what he decided not to include for some reason is the crime of insurrection. That did not make an appearance in the target letter to Donald Trump. And that concerns me. And I want to talk in a minute about why it concerns me that we didn't see insurrection included. But first, let me start with how I view the three crimes that are included in the target letter. Because when I first read those three crimes, I took a step back and I asked myself this question. Who are the victims of these three crimes that Jack Smith specifically included in the target letter? And when you answer that question, when we talk through that issue together, I think there's an interesting symmetry that emerges, at least to me. So the first crime, conspiracy to commit offenses against the United States, who's the victim? Well, it's in the title of the crime itself. The United States is the victim. You've committed crimes against the United States, and the United States has an interest in protecting and promoting and guaranteeing free and fair elections. The United States of America is the victim of that crime. Now, perhaps that's an oversimplification, but I want to stick with it for just a moment. The United States as the victim of crime one, and then let's talk about the second crime obstructing an official congressional proceeding. Well, you've already guessed who the victim of that crime is. It is Congress. Let's move to crime three. Deprivation of rights under color of law, defrauding the voters out of the full value of their vote. Who is the victim? Yes, it is you, it is me, it is the American voters who are the victims of that crime. So I do think there is a symmetry that emerges, right? The United States is the victim of one crime, Congress is the victim of another crime, and the American voters, the people, are the victims of the third crime. I like it, Jack. I like that you have sort of covered a whole lot of criminal terrain in choosing those three categories of crimes and telling Donald Trump that, yes, you victimized the United States of America, you victimized Congress, and you victimized the American voters. Now, let me turn to what I like less about the target letter, and that is the absence of a reference to insurrection. So the January 6th House Select Committee, again, specifically referred Donald Trump for prosecution to the Department of Justice for the insurrection, saying that he incited the insurrection, right? We saw him set the date, come to D.C. on January 6th, we'll be wild. Hey, proud boys, stand by. He put the call out. He then directed people on January 6th to go to the Capitol, fight like hell, or you won't have a country anymore. Now get down there and stop the certification, right? What I just described is inciting an insurrection. There's proof that he incited the insurrection. There's also proof that he assisted 
the insurrection by refusing to call it off after he had launched it, while it was in progress for hours. He sat in that little dining room off the Oval Office with people streaming in, saying, Mr. President, stop the attack, call it off, and he wouldn't do it. He let his supporters continue to bludgeon, to assault, to damn near kill Capitol Police officers, MPD, Washington, D.C., MPD officers, people that I worked with, people like Mike Fanone, an MPD officer that I worked homicide cases with back in the day. Donald Trump refused to call off the attack as his supporters were hunting to hang his vice president, hunting for elected officials, destroying the Capitol. Donald Trump assisted the insurrection. And he gave aid and comfort to the insurrection and the insurrectionists. Remember what he told them after they damn near killed police officers? We love you. You're very special. Remember this day always as those same people had just hunted for the vice president to put a stop to the peaceful transfer of power. We love you. Remember this day always. And Donald Trump continues to give aid and comfort to the insurrectionists to this very day, promising to pardon them for their crimes. Yes, I take this personally. I think we should all take this personally if we care about our democracy, if we care about the police officers who tried to protect and defend democracy that day. And it's important to remember, friends, that the insurrection statute, again, if you're scoring at home, it's 18 United States Code, section 2383. Can I read it for you? It's just one very short sentence. The statute, the criminal law, is titled Rebellion or Insurrection. And it says, whoever incites, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both, and Okay, here's a, a brief cliffhanger, friends, before I read what comes after the end, you know, which frankly, what comes after the end is what's most important at this moment in time, in my opinion. But I just want to recap that you can commit the crime of insurrection if you either incite an insurrection or if you set it on foot, that's an old timey term, basically to say you're going to get it going, or if you assist the insurrection, or if you engage in insurrection, or if you give aid and comfort to the insurrection. If you do any one of those things, you've committed the crime of insurrection. Donald Trump did them all. You know, they're, they're called alternative theories of liability. If you do just one you've committed the crime of insurrection. Donald Trump did them all. And Congress referred Donald Trump for prosecution for the crime of insurrection. And the reason I'm so concerned that it doesn't appear in Jack Smith's target letter 
that he just delivered to Donald Trump is what comes after the end in that statute. What comes after the end, right, that you shall be fined and or imprisoned, and if you commit the crime of insurrection, you shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. If you're convicted of insurrection, you are disqualified from being president again. Friends, that is an important piece of the punishment puzzle because the three crimes that Jack Smith listed in the target letter, the conspiracy and the witness tampering and the deprivation of rights, none of those crimes carry with them the authorized sentence of being incapable of holding office under the United States. There is no prohibition against Donald Trump holding federal office again if he's convicted of those three crimes, but if he's convicted of insurrection, there is. He is prohibited from serving in office again. And that is why I was disappointed and concerned that Jack Smith opted not to list insurrection as one of the crimes in the target letter, but here's the silver lining, friends. Just because it's not in there doesn't mean Donald Trump can't or won't be indicted for the crime of insurrection. I do think it makes it slightly less likely, but it doesn't preclude it. And I can promise you we will be talking more about this in the future, but for right now, friends, that is a breakdown of what a target is, what a target letter is, what the three crimes are that are listed in the target letter, and why I am a little concerned that we didn't see the crime of insurrection listed in that target letter. Coming up, Trump committed many crimes and the GOP ignored it as it happened. Glenn talks about reforming ethics in government next on Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Many Republicans knew Donald Trump was committing crimes, and they stood by and let it happen. How can we fix this in the future? Here's Glenn. Okay, friends, can we talk for just a few minutes about the need for a renaissance of ethics in government? The reason I circle back to this topic is because we now know that Donald Trump 
will end up being convicted at trial by Republican witnesses. A chorus of Republican voices will testify against Donald Trump at trial and he will be convicted of crimes courtesy of those Republican voices. How do I know? It will be largely, almost exclusively, Republicans who will be called to testify against Donald Trump at trial because the January 6th House Select Committee presented so much of the evidence to us in public hearings, and it was Republican after Republican after Republican talking about the crimes of Donald Trump, the crimes they saw Donald Trump commit, the crimes they know Donald Trump committed. I mean, there was nary a Democrat among the witnesses who testified at the J6 public hearings. Similarly, the grand jury investigation of Donald Trump's crimes has involved Republican witness after Republican witness. Donald Trump's own executive branch officials, his chief of staff, his vice president, his lawyers, his former lawyers, his family members, they've been streaming through the grand jury, some willingly, some unwillingly, testifying about the crimes of Donald Trump. These will be the witnesses at trial. And friends, so many of these people stood by and watched Donald Trump commit crimes, both in and out of office, and said nothing, and did nothing, and reported nothing about those crimes. We need to fix this. We need to fix ethics in government. Do you know there's actually a legal requirement that says if you know someone has committed a federal crime, a federal felony, you must report it. And if you don't, you have committed a crime. It's the crime of misprision of a felony. And friends, it's right up front in Title 18 of the Criminal Code. Let's fill out our scorecard. For those of us scoring at home, it can be found at 18 United States Code, Section 4 right up front, and it reads, whoever having knowledge of the actual commission of a felony cognizable by a court of the United States, in other words, a federal felony, whoever conceals and does not as soon as possible make known the same to some judge or other person in civil or military authority under the United States shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than three years or both. The federal law actually requires that if you see something, you must say something about a federal felony being committed. And if you don't, you can go to prison for three years. Friends, how often is that law obeyed? with all of these Republicans who sat by, watched Donald Trump commit federal crime after federal crime after federal crime, ad nauseum, ad infinitum, to infinity and beyond, and they said nothing, and they did nothing, and they reported nothing. Well, 
Therefore, they committed the crime of misprision of a felony. Now, I will say it does seem to be something of a dead statute because nobody ever seems to be prosecuted for concealing a federal felony by a criminal president, right? I mean, sadly, this highlights the need for more work on the ethics in government front. How many Republicans sat by, watched Donald Trump commit crimes, refused to stop him from committing those crimes, refused to report them, and then they left federal service and they wrote books disclosing Donald Trump's crimes, profiting off of their concealment of Donald Trump's crimes. How flipping infuriating is that, friends? That's why I have been puzzling and puzzling, trying to come up with some sort of fix. You know, if not a fix, something that can move us forward on the ethics in government front. And what I came up with is 22 simple words. 22 words that we can add to the oath of office. And it would be so easy to add these 22 words. All it would take is amending the statute, amending the federal law that sets out the oath of office, the oath that is required of every government employee, every federal government officer, every military service member, because we're all required by statute to take the oath of office. Friends, these are the words that must be uttered by everyone who enters federal service. I, you state your name, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God. That is the statute. That is the law. That is the oath that is required. It's the oath that I first took back in the 80s when I entered active duty as an army officer. I took it again when I joined the Department of Justice as a federal prosecutor. It is the oath that everyone who enters federal service must take. And friends, can we please add just 22 words to that oath? Can you please call or write or email or text or communicate somehow to your elected representatives that we should add, we must add these 22 words to the oath of office. Here are the 22 words I propose. That I will promptly report all instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. A simple 22 words that really are no different than what's already required under the federal law of misprision of a felony. But the reason I think it's important to add this to the oath of office is because it then becomes 
you know, not just the expectation that you will report crime and corruption by government officials and employees, it becomes your sworn duty, your sworn obligation. Now, will this inspire people like Mark Meadows or Bill Barr or John Bolton or, you know, fill in the name of your favorite or least favorite corrupt Republican official? Will it inspire them to behave honorably, lawfully, ethically? No, of course not. They are who they are. But if they know that every other person around them, everybody who has eyeballs on them every day has taken this oath and they have a sworn duty to turn them in, to report them, it will deter criminal conduct by at least some government officials and employees. If they know all eyeballs are on them and every eyeball has a duty, a sworn obligation to report their crimes, their misconduct, their corruption. I know it's not a cure-all, but if you know you're more likely to be caught because every single person around you must turn you in, it will deter some people it will cause them to think twice before they engage in crime and corruption. There is literally no downside to amending the oath of office to include this kind of mandatory reporting. I mean, you already swore to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. You can also swear to try to make it a more ethical and law-abiding federal government. You know, we can't count on whistleblowers to do all the heavy lifting, reporting crime and corruption of federal officers and employees. You know, whistleblowers are like magical unicorns. They rarely come forward. And when they do, there's often hell to pay because, you know, people try to retaliate against them, even though there are laws protecting whistleblowers. But the fact that it happens so infrequently, whistleblowing, really militates in favor of making it mandatory for everybody. You know, I mean, for gosh sakes, this is one way we can improve ethics in government. So why in the hell wouldn't we do it? You know, why in the hell wouldn't we try? So friends, team justice members, folks who care about the rule of law and about honor and integrity and ethics in government service, I urge you to please consider contacting your elected representatives early and often and say, can we just add these 22 words to the oath of office, right? They can be found, the oath can be found at Title V United States Code Section 3331, 5 USC 3331. Can we just add these 22 words that I will promptly report all instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. And the reason I suggest this amendment to the oath of office, friends, is because justice matters. Friends, as always, thank you for sticking with me through this somewhat extended weekend edition of Justice Matters. Um, boy, we're gonna have a lot to talk about 
in the coming weeks and months and yes, years. And um, if you want to find me elsewhere, you can find me on the platforms, Twitter and Threads and Facebook and Instagram. I am at Glenn Kirshner 2, my name and the number 2 on those platforms. You can find my daily YouTube videos on my YouTube channel, Justice Matters, with Glenn Kirshner. Seven days a week, we're posting a legal analysis video trying to keep on top of all of the crazy legal issues of the day. Of course, you can find my audio podcast wherever you ordinarily get your audio podcasts. They post during the week, and of course, the long-form podcast posts every weekend. And then, if you have any interest, friends, in more formally supporting our all-volunteer efforts here at Justice Matters, you can go over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron, and if you do, I will send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks. And as always, I want to thank the many people who have come over to patreon.com and who have chosen to support our all-volunteer efforts, our mission, our content. We couldn't do it without your help and your support. So, as always, friends, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon.